0: Uh, tonight we're going to be looking in John chapter 3. I mentioned that passage this morning. I had it on my mind all week. And uh, uh, so I began to contemplate, think about the light. And uh, so tonight we're going to be looking at that. John chapter 3 verse 19. And this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. And does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. I remind you tonight that this scene is set in that famous encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus. It began in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. This man came to Jesus by night, by night, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Come for God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. It is entirely possible that uh, this message that Jesus gave to him about the light was merely another teaching moment in the midst of this circumstance with this master of Israel He began, of course, with the new birth. We saw that today. There's a fleshly birth and there's a spiritual birth. He continued with the wind. The wind blows where it wills. He went from there to Moses. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And then the light, the light. This was something John the Apostle spoke of often in John chapter 1. In him was life. That is, in Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Uh, Verse 8, he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Jesus is the life. You know, the very existence of life demands a supernatural explanation. Uh, science really I've mentioned to you before but I'll say it again for our, everybody tonight but especially for our internet audience I never know who's watching or listening and I, I remind you science has no credible explanation for the existence of life none you can talk about the big bang all you want uh, I don't believe it but they can talk about such things if they like Uh, But there's no way that inanimate objects could somehow animate themselves. Such things do not happen. It is not difficult. It is impossible. The existence of life demands a supernatural explanation. And Jesus then, John tells us that Jesus is the life. And because he is the life, the fact that he is the life, he is the explanation for how life exists then that is light and John tells us that that light goes to every person on this planet. The light of revelation. All you have to do to see it is look in the mirror. The very fact that you exist gives testimony to the fact that light is coming to the world. The light That we have a creator, and our creator has a name, and his name is Jesus. As we see so often in scripture, then, the response to this light is twofold. There are those who run to the light, and there are those who run from that light. One is afraid of the light, while the other longs for the light. One hates the light. One loves the light. One is reproved by the light. One is approved. By the light. Light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light. Do you run to the light tonight or run from it? One of the most famous ships of all times is the Titanic. And it is famous, of course, for the one thing that it did. It sank. It was built as the unsinkable ship and it sank on its first voyage. On April the 10th, 1912, from 9.30 in the morning until 11.30 in the morning, the passengers boarded. If you've ever gone on a cruise, then you're familiar with that routine, uh, the passengers boarding the ship. Of course, in those days, it was all by class, first class, second class, third class. There were all kinds of people who boarded the ship that morning. The first class travelers included some of the world's wealthiest people like Colonel John Astor, for example. There were many others who were very famous actors, actresses. The crew had already boarded of course. Uh, It would not be a pleasure trip for them. All it was to them was a job. I've often wondered what they were paid. I know what they paid. Second class and even third class all boarded wealthy people, famous people, unknown people, working people, old people, young people, women, men, and children. But when the ship went down in the waters of the North Atlantic, the list that was posted for passengers or crew was simply this, lost or saved. Lost or saved. Interestingly, the youngest passenger on board the Titanic was Eliza Gladys Milvina Dean. Milvina, I like that. Milvina was two months old when she boarded the Titanic. It's not surprising then that she was the last surviving member. I don't know exactly how to say that. She was the last surviving survivor of the Titanic disaster. She passed away in May of 2009. So if you ask the question tonight, how many of the people who were on board the Titanic died? The answer is all of them. All of them. You see, it isn't a question of life or death because the Bible tells us in Adam all die. There's an even greater question than this. Lost. Lost. Or saved? And the answer to that question is wrapped up in our text tonight with the subject of the light. Those who run to the light because they love it. Or those who run from the light because they loathe it. So we'll look at them tonight. Those, first of all, who run to the light. Jesus said in verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned. Those who run to the light are the ones who are saved. Now, salvation often has a very temporal effect, as was well demonstrated by the survivors of the Titanic disaster. Many of them survived, but then they all still died. We saw that play out in the Twin Towers in New York City. In the days past that, when so many were rescued, so many were saved, so many were dug out of the ruins, some walked away and walked out. Some many hours, even days later, they were saved sometimes that has a very temporal meaning for us. But in a biblical sense, it's a spiritual and eternal matter when we talk about those who are saved and those who are lost. And this whole concept of salvation then in Scripture is presented in in, in all uh, of the tenses. We can look back to the past tense of our salvation, pointing us back to a particular historical event. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, By grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you have been saved. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Uh, Now, all of you Greek scholars will point out that Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 is not past, it's aorist. I know that. And if you don't know the difference in that, then let me just tell you, uh, that's a past kind of sin. It points to a particular action at some time, generally in the past. And we explain it that way and understand it that way. For by grace you have been saved. It is pointing to a particular time. If you're saved tonight, you can point back to a time when you were saved. It's not a process. You're not born saved. Even if your parents are Christians, it is a particular moment in time. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And that salvation was not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The past sense of our redemption transcends time. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8 is an incredible passage. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Who has saved us and called us with the holy calling. Not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace. Which was given to us in Christ Jesus. Notice before time began. Before time. Time began, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. There's a couple of things that I want to point out to you about this passage tonight. The first one is uh, that this passage, when you look at it, tells us conclusively, without any question, uh, that salvation was no afterthought with God. It's not something, it wasn't plan B. It wasn't something God came up with after Adam and Eve sinned. And he said, you know, what are we going to do now? The Holy Trinity did not meet in emergency session. Before time began, God had a purpose and a grace in Christ Jesus. And it was given to us in him and wrapped up in him. But the other thing that has always intrigued me about this passage is that it talks about before time began. We live in a four-dimensional world, a world of length and breadth, altitude or depth, how high it is, how deep it is, and time. The fifth dimension was a rock group in the 1970s. Don't get those confused. Marilyn McCoo, great, great voice. Uh, We live in a four-dimensional world, length, breadth, altitude, depth, and time. Altitude or depth and time, four dimensions. Um, We don't understand a world without time. We, We don't. We can no more understand a world than we can understand a world without length and breadth and height. We comprehend the world in these ways. It's just a part of who we are. But the Bible tells us in this passage, there was a point at which time began. God started the clock to ticking. You say, how did he do that? What's that like? I can't explain it to you. What was it like before time began? I don't know. (laughs) But I can tell you what it's going to be like after time ends. we got a name for it. It's called eternity. Eternity. God started the clock, and one day he's going to stop it. And I can't wait, to be honest with you, because I've been preaching all of my life, worrying about the time. Oh, I can't wait to get to preach in heaven, and I'm going to preach a year or two <laughs> just for the fun of it. Just so I, so I say I did it. All right. I, I hope, honestly, and, also, and I, I, I believe I could listen to the Apostle Paul for 10 years or so. How about you? You know, well, you say that's absurd. Of course it is. There'll be no time, time will be no longer. Salvation then is a past act, but it is also presented as a future promise. And in our case, then, uh, we can go back to that particular moment in time when we were convicted of our sin. We understood that we were a sinner. We asked Jesus then to save us. We believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and we were saved. That is a particular point of time in your life tonight if you have been saved. But just remind yourself every, every now and then that your salvation didn't start When you got it. Let's understand that. Salvation was conceived of God. It was in his own purpose and grace. Long before time began. We can't understand that. We don't have to. The Bible presents it as an absolute fact. And we accept it. It's also presented then as a future promise. If it is a punctual or act at some point in the past, it is also a future promise. Verse 9, much more than having now, Romans chapter 5, verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Verse 10 talks about we shall be saved by his life. You see, salvation is... A past event. It points us back to a particular point in the time. of uh, time in the past. But it also looks ahead to the future. All the way into the eternal ages. Uh, I was saved at th- that point in the past. <laughs> but all the way out into eternity. Further than I can ever project my mind. I'll still be saved. And so will you. Isn't that a good thing to think about tonight? Since salvation is presented as an ongoing and present reality, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, uh, Paul talked about those who are being saved and those who are perishing. An ongoing and present reality. And it is that ongoing and present reality, those who are being saved and those who are perishing, that occupies our text tonight. Those who are running to the light (coughs) and those who are running from it. So there's a profoundly spiritual effect for those who come to the light, who receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, who are delivered from the condemnation of God. They were saved. They are saved. They forever will be saved through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke of that in John chapter 3 and verse 21. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Nicodemus had come sneaking up to Jesus in the dark. Didn't want anybody to see him. He was sneaking. (laughs) We're going to talk to Jesus, but didn't want anybody to know. But Jesus points out to him that there were those who were not afraid, those who were not ashamed to be seen following Jesus Christ. And that's one of the ones I want to be tonight. One of those who is a bold follower of Jesus Christ. Will we identify ourselves in such a way in our world today or will we sneak in on Sunday and live in incognito mode all the rest of the week? In John chapter 7 and verse 13, Jesus said, No one spoke openly of of him for fear of the Jews. And so tonight if you're saved, you're saved and you can't be saved again. But I'm afraid a lot of us, as God's people, need to make sure that we still have the light burning on our candlestick, <laughs> that we still have our lamp shining and shining brightly in this darkened world. Uh, Jesus said there are those who run to the light, not to brag or to boast about themselves, but to boast about the light. We're not talking about how good we are tonight, we're talking about how good Jesus Christ is. We have a testimony. And we need to give it. The world needs to hear it. And we need to live it. And we need to recover then the power of our testimony. We don't want to be one of those sneaking around and ashamed of our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the kind of pressure that we're under in the world that we're living in today. Let me tell you something. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. (laughs) But as the darkness deepens, folk, as the darkness deepens, that gives an opportunity for the light to shine brighter. You know, there's that point of every day when the day breaks and it's just barely, barely breaking. But it isn't long before your light is pretty much obsolete. It's, you don't need it anymore. Sundown, the same thing happens in reverse. Light gets less and less. One moment you're walking around without a flashlight, the next moment you need one. When you first turn it on, maybe your light only goes a little ways, but then it's not long before that light is shining brightly. The darkness deepens all around us tonight. The darkness deepens. And that just means that our light can shine brightly. There are those then who run to the light because they are saved. And they run to the light then so that their deeds can be shown, that they are in Jesus Christ. It's not about what I'm doing, it's what Christ is doing in me. The same is true of you. But then there are those who run from the light. This is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. We remember Jesus gave those famous words to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world... That he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Nicodemus was a very religious man. He was a good citizen. No doubt a fine, upstanding citizen of ancient Jerusalem. The historian Josephus spoke of a Nicodemus, whether it was this Nicodemus or not, we don't know, who was over the waterworks, water supply system in the ancient city of Jerusalem. Uh, We don't know if that was this Nicodemus or not. I don't know. But we don't know that that Nicodemus was a master of the Jews, a teacher of the Jews, a leader among the Jews because we know that Jesus, of course, said it to this master of Israel, a religious man, no doubt a good man. Jesus would say, he that does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Nicodemus, you see, stood condemned before God, not because of what he had done, but because of what he had not done. He had not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He had not come to the light. People can sit outside the church and curse all the hypocrites on the inside all they want to. They can blame the fact that they're on the outside. I'm not going to go in that place. Oh, you know them people in there, blah, blah. You know, you hear it all the time. I do. But in your heart of hearts tonight, you know... If you're one of those folks, that what you fear is the light. You fear the light. And some of you sitting in this building tonight might can look back to a time in your own life when you feared the light. Scared you. Going to church was suddenly a scary place. Scared you. We don't try to make it scary. Uh, We try to make it welcoming. We want you to experience the love of Jesus Christ. But that loathing of the light is from your own sin nature. You're guilty before God, and you know it. You're guilty, not necessarily because you've been bad. You might have been bad, but you might not have been bad. But your condemnation is not based on what you've done, but on what you have not done. And if you have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and you've been convicted of that, you know that to be true, then you are as lost as you can be and it doesn't matter whether you're a 9 or a 10-year-old child or whether you're 90 and 10 or uh, years old and have lived a life far from God. It doesn't matter. You're equally lost and for the same reason. Because you have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, John returns then to his concept, teaching of the light. He said, This then is a message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. And do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, the darkness hides sin. But the light exposes it. For an unbeliever and a light rejecter, the one who loathes the light and runs from the light, is an awful reality that they live. A reality where that which is sinful is called good. Of wrong, that is called right. Of evil, that is called self-fulfillment. We live in a day when we honor those and even revere those. Maybe not us, but when people are honored and revered who bring their sin into the light and boast about their intention of continuing to live in it. It's a weird kind of world we're living in. It's a horrible state of darkness when a person is so insensitive to the truth of Scripture and to the work of the Spirit as to completely blind themselves to the reality of their own sin and even deny their sinfulness. John would talk about this in 1 John chapter 1. If a man says he has no sin, what is he? John said, (laughs) he's a liar. John didn't mention any words about it. He's a liar and the truth isn't in him. It is a people then who are living out what the Bible uh, warns about in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 when he talked about how that men would give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrine of demons. You say, how is this darkness spreading? How is the darkness deepening? How are people being so blinded to the reality of their own sin? How is it that people are calling wrong right and evil good? How is it that they are boasting about their sin? How do they believe all of these things to be true? They are giving heed to the devil that's how it's happening so right here in this passage there's a strong demonic influence in this world deceiving spirits doctrines of demons it's not very popular to talk about that today the end result of it is right there in the passage they end up with their conscience seared with a hot iron wow John would address that uh, as it relates to God's people in this way. He said in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. We've seen that. We've seen even God's people who end up going out and living a horrible, horrible life of sin, calling evil good, calling wrong Right. And maybe they grew up in church all their life, sat in the same Sunday school class right by you. They were saved, baptized, maybe even in that tank. And now living a horrible life of sin. How can that happen? John tells us uh, if they had have been of us, they would have continued with us. If a believer in Christ, a person who claims to be a believer, can go out and live a sinful and godless life, it is very, very possible and in fact likely that they were never truly saved at all. I know that's a sobering thing to say, but it has to be said. All around us in our world are people who are giving in to demonic deception. They end up with their conscience, their hearts, seared. Even as a Christian, you see, you can find yourself running from the light because your deeds are evil. It's one of the things that's so dangerous about the time that we live in now because there was a time when, as a pastor, we could kind of track people. (laughs) If we didn't see them for a few Sundays... There's a pretty good chance that they were in trouble. Something was going on. It's headed down the wrong road. We need to give them a call and check on them or have somebody else do it. It's so hard these days to know. And you can be a long, long way, a long, long way, the wrong way in this day and time. The Bible makes a sweeping declaration. There is not a just man, Ecclesiastes 7.20. There is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. All have sinned. But in Nicodemus's case, the problem was more in what he had failed to do rather than what he had done. And I may be speaking to some of you tonight in this building, somebody uh, by the camera tonight that I'm speaking to right now, and you are condemned before God, not because you've been a terrible, evil, wicked person, not because you're a drug addict or a prostitute, not because you've lived a sinful, horrible life, not because you're in prison somewhere. You say, well, I'm not a bad person. It's not about that. If you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you are right now under the condemnation of God and you've been running from the light maybe for a long, long time. Oh, but I've got good news for you tonight. (laughs) You may have been running from the light, but you can be one of those that run to the light real easy. Because all it has to take, all it takes, is for you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to call upon Him and to acknowledge your sin. Yes, I've been guilty of sin. Yes, I have failed to believe. Yes, I've said no to Jesus. But tonight, Lord, I want to receive You as my Savior. Jesus put it this way in our text: You're condemned already, because. You have not believed, and this is the condemnation. This is what shows it: that light has come into the world, and that men love darkness rather than the light. As a pastor, I've been blessed by making the acquaintance of many active-duty police officers. In days gone by, it doesn't happen anymore. I guess liability here, everything like so many other things, has changed everything. But in days gone by, it wasn't uncommon for. The police officers that were in our church to come by and pick me up hey preacher you want to ride with with me tonight Uh, they liked having the company and i like this and sometimes it just meant they needed somebody to talk to i tell you especially in a small town you know everybody watches the police officers if he pulled up in front of my office and came in it'd be the talk of the town by night but he could call me and come by and pick me up and and we could go out and spend several hours talking a lot of times i one place that just happened a lot was when I was in Hazen, pastor there at Calvary Baptist. And one of the places that we patrolled pretty regularly when I went out with them was the rest area on I-40, uh, just before you get to the White River. It's closed now. It's been closed forever. Uh, so one day it might open. I don't know. Uh, not every time. And, and we patrolled there almost every That was one of the places that we rode to whenever I rode with the police officer. Not every time. Um, But when we rolled in and he'd turn his blue lights on, not every time, but sometimes, we'd see people go running out in the woods, scurrying away from the light. The first time I went, I asked him, are you going to chase them? He said, no, the mosquitoes will chase them for us. (laughs) That was the truth. You didn't stay out in those woods very long. The mosquitoes would run you out of there. And sure enough, they did. And they'd come, probably drag them back out. We never had to ask, were them people up to something? Oh, they were up to something. They wouldn't have gone running from the light if they weren't up to something. The very fact that they were running would tell you, you know, they're up to something. See, the ultimate evidence of condemnation then is that men love darkness rather than light. That they go running from the light, they hate the light, they run from the light, they fear the light. That is the ultimate evidence of their condemnation. You're not condemned because you're running from the light. You're, you're, you're running from the light because you are condemned. But it doesn't have to stay that way. What a sweet passage then John gave us in his epistle, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. I love that old hymn that says, if we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory He sheds on our way. If we do His good will, He abides with us still and all who will trust and obey. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. I want you to know tonight you can have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. And all it takes is to stop running from the light you say, Well, the light is going to expose my sin. Yes, what's your sin? You hadn't believed. Light has come into the world, and you've loved the darkness rather than the light. That can change. Whosoever believeth on him, Jesus said, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Last to us, as God's people tonight, and I realize most of you tonight are already saved. Let's remember the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. If you're saved tonight, you can't be saved again, but it may very well be that you need to recover the power of your testimony because you're in a world that wants to put your light out. And it's up to us to make sure it keeps shining. Let's stand together, please.